Hello and welcome to Frontiers, a podcast that gets intimate with cultural pioneers and business innovators to hear their inspiring stories. Brought to you by the Upside Innovation Studio. In this episode, DJ Fat Tony describes a life of battling addictions, whether this is drink, drugs, or social media. We explore the power of music, innovating within the evolving nightlife scene, and the opportunity to tell stories that advocate for and help others. I'm DJ Fat Tony. I play music and make people dance. I also work within addiction fields. I work a lot in fashion. I do loads of different things. Uh, and I post a load of shit on Instagram. My business is everybody else's business. You know, I make it everybody else's business. Music's everything. Music's everything. You know, music's the best drug that I've ever taken. The best drug I've ever been introduced to. It has the ability to change everything. You know, you can put on a certain track and people that are no longer with us are in that room with you. It's like a time machine. It's in my blood. My grandmother was a pianist. My great-grandmother was a classical pianist. So music's always been in us. And, you know, I'm quite an emotional person. So if I listen to a piece of music that just takes me away, I, I transport with that music. And, yeah, it's always been in me. You know, my dad was kind of like six foot four, had fingers like bananas. You know, if we had a fight and we didn't win, he would throw us back out on the street and make us fight them. You know, it was a very tough upbringing in a lot of respects. My dad drank a lot. There was a lot of alcoholism in our family. Um, I started going clubbing at the age of 14, 15. I used to pretend I was 17. I used to always lie about it. I lied about everything. I used to lie about my age. And I got kicked out of school at 14, uh, of my secondary school, just turning 15, and I got kicked out of school for having sex with a drama teacher. In those days, it was easier just to say, look, we don't want Tony here, Tony doesn't want to be here, let's call it a day. Otherwise, they would have had to go down all the legal channels, the school teacher, blah, 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 blah. And also, my mum didn't want to bring shame on the family. So I left school and I used to pretend to go to school every morning. And then what happened was I kind of got a job working in the King's Road, Chelsea. And at that point in time, it was kind of like in its heyday. I used to love to think that my dad hated the fact I was gay. I would use that for so many of my bad behaviours. My dad didn't care less. I didn't care I was gay. You know, he he loved me unconditionally, but I was the one that used to kind of make excuses for it, for my behaviours. You know, whether I drank too much or I was out all night, you know. It was really easy to blame my father. Being locked in a room producing music, I couldn't think of anything worse. You know, I do music for fashion shows and I have to go into the studio for like two days. And I'm like, oh God, so boring. But because I know a sound, I know what I like. Like, okay, I really like that noise. I really like this. 
Don't ask me what it is, because <laughs> I don't know. So what I do is I'll sample things and I'll say, this is what I think would be really good. Or helicopter noises, blah, 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 blah. We look at mood boards. That bit's really exciting. The bit of mixing down and all of that other stuff, I find that boring because that's not my job. I don't pre-sets. I don't sit at home thinking, I'm going to play this tonight and that tonight. I take all my music with me on different sticks. You know, I walk into a room and I read it. And I've always had that ability, and that's the sign of, of somebody who knows what they're doing when it comes to music. I probably have a bag about... <laughs> I, 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 like, I'm turning like one of these insane people. I have a bag with about 20 different USB sticks in it. I know every track is on every stick. It's like I know exactly what stick's got what I want. Probably I'd say about 30,000 tracks. Easily. Yeah. On all the sticks. I don't know what all of 30,000 are. But what I do know is the pegging tracks. Now, I know where certain tracks are. I think, right, OK, this is really going to work right now. And I'll go and find that track, just put my hand in it, get it out and put it on. So, for instance, last night I DJed at a party. I went in through the back door and they were like, oh, do you want to stay in the dressing room until you go on? I was like, no, 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 no. I need to go into the club. So I went into the party and this other DJs were on and they were playing disco. And it wasn't going down too well. There was a lot of people standing around on the dance floor, talking. Uh, I went on and straight away I thought, okay, you know, the client said, oh, we want you to play house. I went on, I played three house tracks. Wasn't happening. I went in with a bit of R&B, place went off. You know, that's the ability, that's how you read a room. So if I'm DJ to, in a club to 2,000 people and I see more than 10 people walk off the dance floor, I'll up my game. Because that's what I'm there for. You know, my job is to make people dance. It's not to look cool. I love the superstar DJ era. You know, uh, that was where it all went wrong for me. It, it got like, you know, I, I'd be flying around the world, I'd be doing all of that stuff, commanding great money. And that's when my addiction really took over. Because suddenly I was got, had all this money uh, and just the only way to spend it was on drugs for me. And in order to fly around and travel around up motorways, I had to stay awake. So that's kind of like where it all started going pear-shaped. I met loads of people like that I used to call do-gooders. You know, I'd be in a club and I remember once I was in The Egg in King's Cross and these guys came in and my friend was like, I really want you to meet these guys. They go to Narcotics Anonymous. I was like, no, no, no. It was like the Mormons arriving, you know, like, we've come to take you away. And I was just like, no, I don't want to meet them because I wasn't ready. For me, I won't intervene or won't try and help anyone unless they ask me for help. Because the last thing you want is someone trying to tell you. Because, you know, you come across as being really judgmental or you come across in a condescending way when you talk to people if they're not ready. And the last thing you do is you're going to drive them away. So when people come to me, then I'll help them. And I'll go through that stuff, you know. Um, I remember sitting in my drug dealer's house <laughs> on many an occasion. But this time I'd been there for like three days and he said to me, oh, you know, the day you get clean is the day you're going to start really helping people. When you realise you're not the pie, that's kind of the day that you wake up. You know, because I always thought I was the pie. God, it would have been a really shit pie. I went to this Narcotics Anonymous meeting in New York and it was a meeting for creatives. 
<laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? It's like the creators had their own Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And I went and it was like, it was it was hilarious, you know. I went for three different occasions. The first guy to the chair, which is where they sit down and they share their experiences. And the first thing he said was, well, I wouldn't really call myself a creative. And I was like, well, why are you at a fucking creative meeting? And then later on, the third time I went, I, I shared and I said, you know what? I would say I was a creative. I created situations to get what I wanted. I created major lies to get out of things I didn't want to do. That makes me a creative, you know, and it's how you take that creativity and, and what we do to, for survival into what we do in real life and, that, and to make it work for us. A good song to cry to is, for me in particular, is Mary J. Blige's No More Drama. I'm 13 years clean and sober, and prior to that, I was in addiction for 28 years, and the last three years of that addiction was so dark. Uh, and I used to just listen to that album, the Mary J. album, over and over again, and it was the track that I was going to have at my funeral. I was going to be carried into Womack and Womack, teardrops, um, and then I was going to be burnt to no more drama. And, you know, I used to think about my own death every day. I didn't think about where I was going on holiday or what, you know, what we were doing next week. All I ever thought about was who was going to come to my funeral, who I didn't want at my funeral, because that's how far my addiction had got me. So that track was just like the saving grace, you know, and it was really amazing because, you know, due to the fact that of recovery and me rebuilding my life, six years later, I was working with Mary J., uh, I've worked with her like about eight or nine times now. The first time I worked with her, I told her that story and she started to cry. And she was like, that person, I showed her a picture and she was like, that person wasn't you. The person that stands before me is you. But it was just like, you know, that for me was the joys of recovery. And for me, you know, there's a lifetime of amends to make. Um, I think... The main person that I've always need to say sorry to is like myself. Do you know what I mean? Because I put myself through some fucking shit for no reason, I really do. You know, and of course my mum, I've just done that. We went to interview my mum for the book that we're writing and I really thought that I'd dealt with it. I really thought that I'd said to her, oh, I'm really sorry for everything I put you through. And, and I said to her, how did it make you feel when I was doing that stuff, all the drugs? And she was like, you've never asked me that question. And I was like, Really? I'm sure I asked you that question. Don't be stupid. I made a minute. I said, sorry, she said, you never, ever apologised. And I was like, you know, oh, my God, St. Tony hasn't apologised. And, it, you know, it was kind of one of those things that I kind of think subconsciously I blocked because I knew there was too much to apologise for. So the book is about... It's not my story. It's my story. But how we're doing it is basically... I'm doing, I'm telling my story and then everybody I'm talking about in it is going to go and tell their story. So all the ex-boyfriends that hate me, all the people that I've shat on, all the people that those lives I've destroyed during my addiction, uh, we're interviewing and getting their stories. So it's their stories on me, me not telling stories on other people. Because my truth is my truth, but it's only really true from somebody else's mouth. Writing a book about your darkest, deepest secrets is, is it's, um, 
you know, I kind of always thought that I know who I am, I know what I've done, I know what I'm doing, and, and it's so not the case. You know, I really thought that I dealt with being, you know, abused as a child, blah, 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 all of that stuff. I never dealt with any of it. I can smell people, I can smell situations. It's bizarre. It's stuff that I thought I'd really dealt with and just by talking about it, it's, it's been really, 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 really upsetting. But it's been amazing because I'm dealing with it at last. And putting it into the book is really just sort of like, you know, because people think that I'm going to write a book about all my fabulous friends and blah, 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 and what we did and who we did that with and who we did this with. No, 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 no. No, it's far from it. They can talk about that stuff, what they did with me, if they want to. But I'm not talking about it. Because I think it's really important. It's really important, you know, that... Because, you know, primarily, if it helps one person, it's a success. That's the reason I'm doing it. I'll wake up at 3am and I'll have an idea. And it's about putting it into place. So outside of DJing, I'm just starting a new club night called No Matter What um, in Clapham, which is going to be weekly on Saturday nights, which is a big task to take on a weekly club. And all it started was from the name. You know, everything that I come up with comes from a small little idea and then I'll go to a company and say, I've got a really good idea. Would you be interested in doing this? I'm about to open a, a series of bars in Soho which have got no alcohol in them, which is uh, called No Booze, <laughs> as in like No Boo the restaurant. Doing a new night at the Ministry of Sound as well called Music is a Drug, which is alcohol and drug free. I kind of just, there's so many things that I want to start doing, do you get what I mean, in that sense. But being an addict, my head will tell me on a daily basis, you're shit, don't do that, that's a really crap idea. It's about putting one foot in front of the other. So the biggest frontier for me is to make people realise that you don't need drink or drugs to have fun. I think it's really important that people realise the love of music. For me, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, was that music is the best drug you'll ever take. And it's the, it really is. It, it will take you to places that no other drug or alcohol can. People say to me, do you not get bored not drinking? How do you have fun? I have more fun being sober than I ever did in 28 years of drinking alcohol and taking drugs. I have more fun just being sober. So for me, unwinding, I'm really no good at meditating. I have ADHD and as I say, being a gay man, it turns into gay ADHD and it's much more exaggerated. But when it comes to like, you give me a weekend off, I don't know what to do with myself. So what I'll do is I'll go on social media and by Saturday night, my life's over. Seriously, I will sit there thinking, my career's over, no one wants me anymore. You know, Sunday afternoon, you know, I'm my, that's it. I might as well go and live on a farm with six dogs. Because in my head, I will read everyone else's social media. They're all partying, why am I not doing that? I just don't know how to switch off from that. So my partner always says, oh, let's watch a film. <laughs> and he'll put the film on, I'm out like a light. And I'll tell you what else is really my main wind down part of the weekend, Antiques Roadshow. Lived for Antiques Roadshow, because I'm guaranteed within five minutes of Antiques Roadshow being on, I'm out like a light, and I will wake up at the end of it religiously. 
I'm going to go to Memphis in a couple of weeks to deal with the digital addiction. It's a, it's a 10-day crash course of one-on-one therapy because my addiction to social media is so, it's, it's so off-scale. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm never present. It's like anything. Social media use is great. Social media abuse is wrong. You know, it's like drug use is fine. Drug abuse is wrong. I would say if you are battling with any form of addiction or you're in a really dark place or you feel that you're alone, you just got to remember you're not alone. Just ask for help. All it takes is one conversation with somebody. All my hairs are just stood on end by saying that because that's how it worked for me. You know, all it takes is you to open your mouth. If you don't open your mouth, you don't get fed. No one knows what's going on for you. And most addicts will do that stuff behind closed doors. And they will do that stuff in such a destructive manner. And if you've got a friend that you think is going off the rails or you haven't heard from them for a while, reach out to them. Because that's all it takes is a, a bit of human kindness. was DJ Fat Tony. You're listening to Frontiers, a podcast by The Upside. The Upside is an innovation studio that partners with the world's leading brands, helping them navigate frontiers at the intersection of culture, commerce, and creativity. Find out more at theupside.net. And if you liked the episode, why not subscribe or tell a friend? <laughs>